time to begin our morning service. Welcome to Midway. This is our 10 a.m. worship service. This is the first day of the week that as we as New Testament Christians are commanded to assemble as the spiritual family and worship God. Thank you for your presence here this morning. If you're visiting with us and our guest of ours, we're grateful to have you in our midst. And if you're joining us via YouTube, we're glad to have you joining us in our worship service in that regard as well. We're going to go ahead and get started. Those that will be assisting with our service this morning, our opening prayer will be led by Jeff Sparks. Bill Hyde will lead us in our singing. At the appropriate time, Mark Howell, the minister here at Midway, will be bringing us a message from God's Word. And then to close out our service, Dwayne Metters will lead us in our closing prayer before we break for classes. At this time, let's enter into our worship service. Let us pray together. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity that we can come together and as a family of Christians and worship you on this Lord's Day. Father, we thank you for the freedom that we enjoy to be able to do this. We pray for the leaders of our country and those that set up the rules and regulations of this nation, and we pray that they will never infringe upon our rights to assemble and worship as the Bible teaches us. Father, we pray that you'll be with those that are uh, mourning the loss of loved ones and suffering injuries and damage to their property during to the recent tornado activity. And we pray that you'll be with them and you'll be with the cleanup efforts. And Father, we thank you for modern technology that allows us to know more about bad weather and be able to prepare properly for it. Pray that you'll be with those of, of our number who have requested prayers that are in need of our prayers uh, due to various illnesses. We thank you that uh, our sister Amber is having some better days and that uh, she seems to be improving some. Uh, our prayers have been answered. We pray that you'll continue to answer those. Be with our uh, Sister Brenda Evans and, and, and Brother Bob as uh, they're going through uh, some hard times today. And be with uh, Tommy Fields, the husband of our Gail Gillett, who uh, is in the nursing home. And also we pray that you'll be with her daughter, Sandy uh, Gillett, who has uh, had some back surgeries and is, and is suffering uh, some problems now. Be with uh, Tommy uh, Caldwell, Brother Jeff's uh, stepfather, as he undergoes tests. Um, Father, we, we thank you that our congregation here can welcome new births into the world, and we pray that all of our newborns and those that are coming to us will be uh, faithful children and that their parents and their grandparents will nurture them and bring them in the way that they should be brought up and continue to strengthen our church here. Father, we are most saddened and pray for sympathy of the family of uh, Rhonda Williams and pray that you'll be with uh, uh, Haley and Riley and and. Uh, and those as they mourn the death of uh, 
Sister Rhonda, and as they prepare for the funeral this week. Father, we we pray that the nation's situation as far as the COVID virus will continue to improve, and that as our church attendance picks back up, that we might be able to return to uh, the, the better days of more more attendance and more activities and more fellowship because we understand that, that worship is why we assemble here today. But the fellowship is also very important to us as humans to pull us together and to bring joy into our lives as being part of a, a family that, that believes in you and that worships you and wants to do the best they can to bring others into Christ. Father, thank you for Brother Mark and Marlene and the work that they do here at our church. We thank you for faithful people who study the Bible and intend on learning it and having deep understanding and are able to share with us those lessons that we need. Thank you for our leadership and all that they're doing during these most difficult times that they might make the right decisions that will... First of all, be the best for our souls as we plan to go to heaven and also will be good for us on earth as we're um, here in this uh, temporal world. We thank you most of all for the avenue of prayer and for the forgiveness that comes through the death of your Son on the cross for our sins. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Please stand. We've got a good attendance, and we can sing "Standing on the Promises," the first and third. <laughs> Standing on the promises of Christ, my King, through eternal ages, let His praises ring. Glory.
It is so good to see everyone here today, so thankful that you're able to be here. We're especially thankful for uh, a few that are able to be back with us because they've been sick. Uh, one of them, of course, is Stephen Sowell. We're glad that he is able to be with us today after a lengthy hospital stay because of the COVID, and we pray that he'll continue to get better. We look forward to the day that Amber is able to be back with us as well. She continues to improve, hopefully. Uh, it won't be long. She'll be able to, uh, to be here with us. And we're so thankful to see everyone who is here with us today. Many of you may recognize the name Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey is the one who wrote the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And you may have heard that or read that book. It's still pretty popular. It's been around for a long, long time now. But there's a statement or a quotation from him that I want to share with you this morning. It goes like this. He says, The challenge of work-life balance is without question one of the most significant struggles faced by modern man. The challenge of work-life balance. And again, notice at the end of that he talks about the challenge that's faced by modern man. You know, over the past three weeks, we are, uh, yeah, over the past three weeks, we've been talking about a balanced life, and we've noted a number of things. There are six basic uh, areas of life that are found in the wheel of life. Uh, we talked about the spiritual aspect or the spiritual area of life, and we know that that is to permeate the entirety of our existence while we're living here on this earth. We also talked about the family area. All of us have family of some sort, and we know that it is an important thing, and so we talked about that. Last week, we talked about the social area of life. We all have human contact, contact with other people, and we have some responsibilities and obligations in regard to that. And then there's the vocational area of life, and then the recreational area of life, and finally the financial area of life. But this morning, what we want to do is spend some time talking about the vocational area of life. Now let me go ahead and say again, as I've said in the other lessons, we're not going to be able to cover every aspect of the vocational area of life. We'll hit some high points, we'll hit some important things that we need to remember as Christians in order to have some balance in our life, in our vocational life. And I'll go ahead and tell you this morning that what we're going to be talking about is not what sometimes we talk about in having a balance between work and family or things like that. There have been a number of lessons that have dealt with those kinds of things, and, and yet we understand that we need to have that balance. But that's not what our lesson is going to focus on this morning. What we are focusing on is the idea of the vocational area of our life, which means the work life that we have that we share here in this world. Now, what I want to begin with this morning is some statistics that you might find interesting and intriguing, okay? First of all, as we go back in time, we'll go back to the year 2000, and in the year 2000, there was a poll that was done surveying a number of people, and in that poll, 80% of the people said that they were happy with their work. They were happy with their job. 80% in 2000 said that they were happy with their job. 
That's a pretty good number of people who were happy where they worked. They were happy at what they did. They were happy with the people that they worked with. They were happy with their job. Fast forward 10 years to the year 2010 and the same poll was conducted again. And in a span of 10 years, I want you to understand that when people were asked, only 55% of people said that they were happy with their job after that 10-year period, or, or 10 years later, I should say. Only 55%. So there is a drop of about 25% of people who are no longer happy with their job. Uh, things are seemingly getting worse, if you will, in, in their life. But then go forward to 2019 when the Gallup uh, poll people did a survey. And in that survey, what I want you to grasp is this. They said in 2019 that 85% of people now say that they hate their job. What a, what a significant swing. It, I, I, remember the first two I said... 80% said they were happy with their job. 55% said that they were happy with their job. But by 2019, 85% say they hate their job. Now, by my calculations, that only leaves 15% that could be in any way satisfied with their job. What has changed in the past 20 years? Now, I don't pretend to know everything that has changed, but what I do understand and I do know is that there has been a major shift in the mindset, the thinking of people in our nation. We have changed our views of a lot of things, or at least a lot of people have changed their views of a lot of things. And I'm going to go ahead and say it this morning, and not for the good. We haven't changed for the better now, some people may think that what we're thinking about now and the way people are acting and responding is better than what has happened in the past, but I'm going to tell you this morning that is not true. And not only that, but when we think about the, the concept of, of what's happening right now, people have not only changed their attitude about things, they've changed their attitude about work in general. They've changed their attitude in regard... To, to the matter of work. And so that would tell me that this uh, 85% number here is a result perhaps of what is going on in our minds, what's going on in our thinking. And, and it's because of that that we're getting out of balance in our life. Now what we want to do again this morning is think about some things in, in regard to the vocational area. And so... I want to approach that by looking at two questions. Question number one is, what does the Bible say about work? What does the Bible say about work? We'll spend some time, a little bit of time talking about that, and then we'll move on to the second question this morning. So, what does the Bible say about work? Well, a number of years ago, let me just start it off this way. A number of years ago, while I was still in Atwood, I preached a series of lessons entitled... Four-letter words to teach your children. Now, a lot of times when we talk about four-letter words, we're talking about words uh, that, are, that, that people shouldn't be saying, okay? So we're talking about ugly words, dirty words. But 
Those four-letter words that I said that we should teach our children were not dirty words. Some people may think they're dirty words, but among them was work. One of those four-letter words was work. Maybe one of these days I'll preach that same series here, but, but what does the Bible say about work? Well, number one, let's understand that God is the one who ordained work. Work is ordained by God. In other words... When we think about that, who come up with a, came up with a concept of work? God did. Who introduced the concept of work into the world? God did. Okay? Now let's go back to the book of Genesis chapter 2 at verse number 15. There the Bible says, The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now this was before, this is in chapter 2, this is before they sinned, but even before they sinned, the Bible says that God said, work and keep the garden. If you read that from the King James Version, it says dress and keep the garden, but the word simply means to work it. To work and to keep the garden. Okay? Now, let me also suggest this, let me, let me say to you that after man, that after Adam and Eve sinned, that work got harder. That work became more difficult. Even back in before they ate of the, the, tree of, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they were given the obligation by God to work, but it wasn't as difficult as it was after they had sinned. Now, if you go to chapter number 3 and you begin reading, we understand that God cursed the ground because of the fact that they had eaten of the tree that he had commanded them not to. When he's talking to Adam, he's telling Adam that. And he also told Adam that in toil and pain, he would be able to have his food. In toil and pain, he said, that's the way you're going to be working. And, and then number three, he said it would be through the sweat of his brow, through the sweat of labor, that he would be able to feed himself and his family. And so things changed from the time that God put Adam and Eve in the garden and, and the time that they sinned, uh, it changed after that. But God is still the one who instituted work. In the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, here's what Paul writes. He says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not, as, uh, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. There was a problem in the church at Thessalonica. They misunderstood the second coming, the concept of the second coming, and so many of them evidently had quit their jobs and they were just waiting on Christ to come back. And Paul says that's not the way things work. In other words, he said, you've got to work. If you want to eat, you've got to work. And so we not only see the concept of work in the Old Testament, but we also see the concept of work in the New Testament and we see the concept of work being provided and being explained to be a part of our life by God. Look at the book of Ephesians chapter 4 at verse number 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have 
something to share with anyone in need. Again, the Apostle Paul says, work is to be a part of our life. But I'm pretty sure that everybody here already knew those passages or at least knew the concept of those passages, right? But let's turn it around just a little bit. Let's look at what the Bible has to say about when we don't work. Now, we noted a part of that in the book of 1 Thessalonians, but let's go back and think about a few other ideas. When we turn to the pages of the Old Testament, we come to understand that laziness, that is the lack of work, leads to poverty. Laziness leads to poverty. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 10, at verse number 4, here's what we find. The Bible says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. A slack hand. What does the word slack mean? Well, if you were to define that from the original word, here's what you would find. It simply means a lax or a lazy hand. A lax or a lazy hand. And he said that causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Here's another passage from Proverbs chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Again, laziness causes poverty. Now, again, many of you, most of you probably know that several years ago, spent some time on a couple of mission trips in the Philippines, and those were some of the poorest people that, that I have ever seen. There were some who were there who were the poorest people I've ever seen, but they were hard workers. A lot of times we understand that poverty comes because of corrupt governments and things of that nature, but we do know that on a personal level, if we fail to understand the vocational area of life, the, the balance that is to be there, if we don't work, then poverty will come upon us. Laziness causes poverty. But number two, laziness also leads to destruction of what we have. It leads to destruction of what we have. What do you mean by that? Well, look again, staying in the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, at verse number 9. Again, the Bible says, Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. There's that word slack again, that lax or lazy person. Whoever is slack or lazy in his work is a brother to him who destroys. What does that mean? To, to, to be a brother to one who destroys. Now, we'd understand a person who destroys to be one who goes out and uh, does vandalism or hurts, you know, property or things like that. But he says the lazy person is, is, his, is his next of kin. It's his brother. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, go to the book of Proverbs chapter 24 and look at verses 30 through 32 and we'll get an idea. Here the writer says, I passed by the field of a sluggard. That's that slack person, that lazy person. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. 
I looked and I received instruction. What happens when you don't take care, when you're too lazy to get out? Remember, he's talking about the sluggard. When you're too lazy to get out and tend to your business. Well, everything falls apart. Everything goes to pot. Everything is destroyed. There we come to that brother of the destroyer again. It just, you know, falls to pieces, we might say. Now, this is not a racial thing or anything of that nature, but maybe you see in government housing projects, maybe you've seen on TV and things like that, in, in, in these government housing projects, sometimes you see people just sitting around, you know, uh, out on the porch doing, doing nothing. But when the camera pans, the, 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 the yard the, is full of trash and, and things are falling apart all around them, waiting for somebody else to take care of it. Maybe they're simply lazy. We can do that with our own property, can't we? doesn't have to be some government setting. How many times have we passed down the road and seen pieces of property just falling apart? Now, I understand sometimes people become physically incapable of taking care of their property. That's not who Solomon is writing about here. He said there's lazy people who are the brother of the destroyer. Everything comes apart. Laziness leads to the destruction of what we have. Not only that, but uh, laziness leads to many social ills. Many social ills. Would you agree that we have some social ills that are going on in our world today? Social ills of various kinds. Have you ever heard the statement, an idle mind is the devil's workshop? Anybody ever heard that? Most of us probably have. An idle mind is the devil's workshop. That's not a Bible verse. Some people will almost say, you know, they'll almost uh, uh, bet that's in the Bible somewhere. It's not a Bible verse, but it is a Bible concept. Okay? And so when we think about the idea of, uh, of uh, uh, an idle mind being a devil, the devil's workshop, I would point you to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13. Talking about the younger widows, Paul writes and says, Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. Now that's just a mild uh, dose of social ills, Okay. That, that we would think those things not to be as serious as some things. God counted them serious, but we might think in our own mind they're not as serious as some things. But I want you to consider this. I just wonder how many murders, rapes, robberies, drug addictions, juvenile delinquencies and other acts of violence of all sorts and stripes, including vandalism and things of that nature, I wonder how many of those things would be avoided if more minds were kept busy by useful, 
and beneficial work. Think about that. How many of the social ills that we're suffering in our own nation today would be remedied if we had minds at work? Sometimes you'll see memes on Facebook and things like that about people who are out protesting. They're doing all of this protesting and all of this rioting and somebody will say something about, well, the rest of us are at work. You know, the way I said it is not as clever as the way sometimes they say it, but maybe that's true, right? If we had a job and we were out there actually spending time doing the vocational area of life in a balanced and right way, maybe we wouldn't have many of the social ills that we have in our day. And so when we're looking at work, not only do we have to know what the Bible says about work itself, but we have to understand what it says about not doing it. And I've shared with you three things this morning. But then the second question, I said that there were two, the second question that I want us to address for just a few moments this morning is this. What can help or help us have a balance in the vocational area of our life? What can help us have a balance in the vocational area of our life? Would you agree with me that our society has developed an adversarial attitude between employers and employees? Or we may even turn that around, employees and employers. Would you agree with me that that is a constant factor that we're seeing in our day and time? You know, again, let me remind you of the survey that I mentioned at the beginning. In 2019, 85% said they hated their job. Part of that may be because of that adversarial attitude that we see. And you know what? This adversarial attitude is being exploited quite heavily by those who are politicians and those who are uh, uh, other uh, advocates or those who are, uh, you know, uh, trying to lead uh, 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 movements, if you will. They're exploiting those things quite heavily today. And it's spilled over from our, into our society in the way that we've almost come, uh, uh, come that employees and employers are, you know, have come to hate one another in, in what they're doing. You know, the cry for higher minimum wages is, is uh, uh, very loud today, right? There's so much being said, you've got to raise it up to at least $15 an hour and things of that nature. Even for entry-level jobs, it's, it's quite loud right now. But what some can't seem to grasp is this. The more you raise the minimum wage, the more it costs to do business. And the more it costs to do business, the more you have to charge for the product or the service that you're supplying. And so what happens is this, if you raise it, you've got to raise the other. And you really have not gained any ground at all. Do I want people to be paid well? We'll see that in just a minute. But we have to understand some things. 
What does the Bible have to say? Look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. How, how did the master treat the bondservant? How was he supposed to? Based on the fact that he has a master in heaven, based on the fact that God is his master, treat him justly and fairly, the Bible says. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 at verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Uh, that should be, uh, that passage should be, you shall not muzzle an ox when he treads out the grain. The laborer deserves his wages. I got the wrong one up there right now. But as we look at it and as we think about it, again, the Bible says that we are uh, to pay. The laborer deserves his wages. Look at James chapter 5 at verse number 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. As you look at those three passages, we understand that the Lord expects employers to treat their employees well, to treat them right. Now here he's, uh, he calls them masters and, and bond servants. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But he expects them to treat their employees or their bond servants right. But not only that, the Lord expects us as employees to honor our agreements, even though someone else may get the same money for less work. Boy, you hear that a lot today, don't you? But the Lord expects us to honor our agreements in spite of that. <clears throat> Do you remember in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 15, that an employer went out to employ employees at the early hour, at the third hour, at the sixth hour, at the ninth hour, and at the eleventh hour? And when it came time to pay all of the employees... Those who were hired at the early hour had already seen those who were hired at the 11th hour get the same amount of money that they had agreed to work for for the day, and they thought they were going to get extra. And when they were only paid what they had agreed to, they began to gripe and complain. We worked out there in the hot sun all day. They only worked for a little while. And what do we find the Bible saying? In Matthew 20, verses 13 through 15. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Jesus is the one telling this parable here. I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Whatever it was that the employer chose to pay his employees, whatever they agreed to, that's what they're to be held to. 
And the employer may be generous. Now remember, we've already seen that he's to be just and fair. But so are the employees. If you make an agreement, stand by it. You know, Americans are no longer content with wages to which they have agreed. We see that often. It plays out in newspapers and on the Internet and on the news. They say these wealthy business owners ought to share with us little people. Ever heard something like that? Again, politicians pitting one group against another group. If we want to have balance in our vocational life, we must stop comparing ourselves with our co-workers. It's really none of my business what my co-worker makes because I agreed with my employer for what I'm making. And if we're constantly comparing ourselves with others, we will never have balance in our mind and in our work life, in our vocational life. Folks, that's biblical. That's what we see here in the book of Matthew, chapter number 20. Now again, I said we'd come back to this, but bond servants or slaves in the first century Roman Empire in which we uh, find the, the Bible uh, setting of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those bond servants or slaves probably numbered in the millions, probably more slaves than free men in those days. And so the bond servants would have accounted for the largest portion of the workforce of that day because they simply outnumbered the other folks. And, and when we think about them, bond servants would have represented the modern-day employees. That's the reason I've been comparing the two in, in the lesson that we've been talking about. And so the, the, the common everyday workers. Now, being a slave did not indicate the social class of a person. Uh, a slave could be a blue-collar laborer or a salesman or a CEO or, or even someone who served in government in, in higher places of government. A slave could be a physician or a teacher, but they still had that title. They were an employee or equal to an employee of our day. And so that would have meant the masters would represent the modern employers. Okay? So, so as we look at back in time and how the Bible addresses things, then we have to understand and have that, that concept in our mind. And so any instructions given in the Scriptures would be a Christian's instructions for his workplace today. But very quickly, let's look at three additional passages. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. We put that in terms of an employer-employee relationship if your employer tells you to do something in a certain way, what's the obligation? Do it. Just like a slave in the old Roman Empire. How are you to do it? With a sincere heart. You know, you don't say okay and then walk away doing that 
grunting kind of stuff. Do it with a sincere heart. Uh, as you would Christ. Get this point if you don't get anything else. When you're at work and you're working for someone, you work for them just like Jesus was the boss man. Period. He didn't give an, an exception. And we'll see that in just a moment as well. He said, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart. That's back up there with that sincere heart, by the way. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Who are you working for? You're working for God. You're working for Christ. And when you're working in your workplace, you've got to remember that every day. Going on to verses 8 and 9. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive Back from the employer. Back from the Lord. Whether he's a bond servant or free. Masters do the same to them and stop your threatening. Knowing that he is both their master and yours in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Now he addresses both sides, doesn't he? And both of them Employer, employee, both have a master in heaven. In other words, both are working for the one who is above. A lot of folks have forgotten that, but that is just the way it is. Look at Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing and not argumentative. Not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. You're living your life in front of people, your co-workers, your boss, whoever it is, and you're adorning the doctrine of Christ. You're, putting, you're, you're living as a Christian and doing what the Bible says. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Somebody says, well, my... My employer just doesn't treat people right. Servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle. Do I need to read that next part? But also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Doesn't make any difference. Your obligation as a worker is to work as though you're working for God, because you are. Whether you're treated right or not, many times you won't be. But your reward is not coming from your employer, your reward is coming from the Lord. And by the way, those who are treating those who are working for them unjustly, their reward comes from the Lord as well. Maybe that's not the best word. Their punishment. And so as we look at these passages of Scripture, we know that there's to be that balance. 
But as we bring this lesson to a close this morning, Paul had an association with Aquila and Priscilla that we read about in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. Priscilla and Aquila, were they Christians when Paul first came to know them? Now remember, he was working with them because they were tent makers. Well, we're not told whether they were Christians or not. It's quite possible that Paul converted them to God, to Christ. But with that in mind, always remember that you're preaching a living sermon and your co-workers are your congregation. Sad thing about it is, many have been ineffective in their attempts to make an eternal impact at work because they haven't been living with a balance in their vocational life. Balance as is described in Scripture. Maybe you're here today and you've never obeyed the gospel. Today's the day. Maybe you're here and there's something amiss in your life and you need to come back to the Lord. Today's the day. If you need to respond, do it right now as we stand and sing. Why keep Jesus waiting, waiting in the cold? He will bear you gently, gently. Before we share in the Lord's Supper, I'd like to read from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and protector of faith, who for joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand at the right throne of God. As we share the Lord's Supper, let's fix our eyes on Jesus and remember the sacrifice that He made for us. Our Father we thank you for this bread. It's what to our minds represents the body of our Savior.
the perfect sacrifice. And we remember the suffering that he went through on the cross. We give you our thanks in his name. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, as we drink this cup, as Christ himself directed as he instituted the supper, let our minds go back to the cross. Let us remember him as he instructed. Let us see in our minds the the blood that he shed. And that he now sits at your right hand. He sits there interceding for sinners like us. We are so thankful. And in his name we pray. Amen. This time we'd like to give thanks for material blessings that we've been blessed with that we've been blessed with. As we've learned in the lesson this morning, God will reward us for our labors, spiritually and materially, I believe. Let us give thanks to him at this time. Father, you're so good to us. You bless us so much. And May we always be thankful. May we never forget and get complacent with the way you do bless us. We understand that the earth and all things in it are yours. 
we're just here to tend the garden. And may we work diligently in our whatever our livelihood might be. We thank you again for the way you've blessed us. And may we at this time, and may we have in the past, determine to return what we're in care of, a liberal portion, back to you. We pray in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Mark, for the lesson this morning. We appreciate it. It's a lesson is well needed. Remember those that are in the bulletin asking for our prayers. Um, and if you haven't picked a bulletin up, please make sure you do so before you leave the building today. Um, Amber Gilliland, Brenda and Bob Evans, Tommy Fields, Tommy Caldwell. Uh, also remember the Rhonda Williams family. Of course, Rhonda passed away this past week, and her service will be this coming Thursday, April the 1st, visitation from 4 to 6, and then the service at 6 at Kilgore Green. Also add this name to your prayer list, prayer request list, and that is Sandy Bennett, and Jeff Sparks alluded to this in prayer. This is the daughter of Gail Gillett. Uh, she's had three back surgeries, and she's not doing well and has asked for our prayer, so let's remember Sandy Bennett as well. Now, on a little bit happier note, uh, we're excited to announce the birth of Olivia Jade Wood, daughter of Zach and Chrissy Wood, who was born yesterday, March 27th. Both daughter and mother are doing well, and are scheduled to be back at home on Monday. Grandparents Randy and Wendy are uh, excited to death, and then this is their second grandchild, so uh, that's congratulations to Randy and to Wendy and also to Zach and Chrissy on the birth of their child. Also, uh, the birth of Brave, and I hope I'm saying that correctly, and there's not an accent mark there, Brave River Woods, daughter of Walker and Cameron Woods, born March 23rd, Everyone's at home doing well, and uh, Ray and Renee Huffsteller are the proud grandparents, and so congratulations to both of those families. I believe these are all the announcements that I have. Let me say again, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Uh, those that are physically present here in the auditorium and then those that are uh, tuned in via YouTube, we're glad to have you. Remember, after the dismissal prayer, we have classes, so please, we employ you to please stay for classes. It'd just be 30 more minutes, and uh, you won't regret that you've stayed if you will do so. Make your plans this afternoon, 5 
p.m. to join us via YouTube. Mark will bring us another message from God's Word. And then this coming Wednesday evening, our midweek Bible study, we are assembling here, so please come out and be present with us this coming Wednesday at 6.30 for our midweek service. At this time, we'll go ahead and have our closing prayer. Dwayne will come forward and lead us in that closing prayer, and then after that, we will be dismissed to our classes. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you today honoring you, thanking you for all the blessings that you have bestowed upon us. Thank you, Lord, for giving us another day of life, another opportunity to be able to come worship together to study another portion of your word. Pray, Lord, that you would bless all of those who are struggling, those who are sick with various diseases, those who have lost loved ones. Be with them, Lord. Pray, Lord, that as we move, go to our homes and those of us that listen to Brother Mark's lesson, pray, Lord, that you would be with us. Keep Brother Mark's lesson in mind and take it with you. Comfort us, Lord, in any way that you can. And forgive us of all of our sins. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.